Well, we try take two here in greeting everybody. We have little glitches once in a while to get started. It's so wonderful that we could gather this morning around the Lord's table. As I was saying, how wide, how far this table stretches all the way to Singapore, down to South America, out on the West Coast. It's amazing. Praise the Lord. So many people who have seen the King and have come to worship him. And this is the great mystery that undergirds our whole experience. Because as our dear brother shared this morning in the opening, there's a secret of secrets. And that is that the greatest moment of reigning in human history came when our Lord Jesus, as the Son of Man, suffered and died upon the cross. As it turns out, that's the greatest, highest reigning moment of a human in history. And now, of course, he reigns on high. He sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father. We acknowledge him. And now every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. But isn't it wonderful that we've been let in on this glorious secret, that we see Christ crucified and we worship him. We say, now that is our God. That is the Son of God. That is our Savior. What a wonderful time of worship and all seeing him in his great humility as we have it in our first uh, scripture in the theme for this weekend. Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's what we were doing this morning, wasn't it? Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now we know when Jesus was here on earth as son of man, he had great power and anointing. He had the power over disease. He had the power over the wind and the waves. He had power over Satan. But when it came to the kingdoms of men, he yielded himself. And so the Jews didn't understand that their king, their Messiah, would be a suffering servant who would die on their behalf. Oh, he could have reigned over man. He could have reigned over Rome and reigned over Jerusalem and Israel and and set up a kingdom by man, but no, there would be no members, no citizens of that kingdom unless he died on the cross. And so in this great mystery, he, the first among us, humbled himself, took on the form of a bondservant, and, and humbled himself even unto death, the death of the cross. And that's why we so wonderfully exalted him this morning. So Jesus lived on this earth as the son of man, as our dear brother David was talking yesterday, uh, not using his powers as the son of God, but relying on the anointing of the Holy Spirit and all that he did. As he, and we remember even when the uh, Jews came to him, and we remember in Luke 17 and verse 20, it says, uh, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, where they were very interested in that, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, this saying of Jesus came right on the heels of that time that he cleansed the 10 lepers. Now, you would think that that would be a sign of reigning, 
And indeed, Jesus was ruling and reigning even over the uncleanness of sin and leprosy. But the leaders were blind to that because they were looking, as our brother shared earlier, for a, a Nebuchadnezzar or uh, some great powerful king. And they, they were disappointed in Jesus. And yet all the time he said, behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And this sorry, is the Dana. mystery. I'm yeah. sorry, Dana. your camera keeps uh, is slipping down. Can you adjust your camera? It has now uh, showing, it's all the way down. You probably need to make sure the mount is. Okay. Yep, that's great. It's okay. <laughs> All right, we'll try to get through this. Having a little, little difficulties here. Uh, hang on, my assistant here, my, my dear assistant, Julia. Is there some way of tightening this? Yeah, just make button? sure it's tightened. No, uh, is, is there a way of tightening it? Yes or no? You don't see a screw? All right, I'm trying to use my phone to speak today and uh, we're having a little trouble. So, yeah, okay, we'll carry on. So here is uh, Jesus in this mysterious kingdom, the kingdom in their midst. And this is how we live today. How do we rule and reign? We rule and reign as we live in the reality of this second theme verse that we have together from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we are those who have discovered this mystery that Jesus reigns as son of man while on the earth and that we as we live on this earth well we also live humbly as jesus did but we live in victory through jesus christ our lord and how do we show on this earth that we're reigning at this present time it's by being steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is the process of our life as we reign in the kingdom now. It looks different than it will look on the day that Jesus returns to receive his own. As a matter of fact, we were reigning with Jesus even this morning as we broke bread together. You know, Jesus reigns in our midst whenever he, we enthrone him in praises and worship. In Psalm 22, it says, you are holy, O you, who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And whenever we enthrone him in worship, in spirit and in truth, it brings us as well into heaven's realm to worship along with the angels of our glorious Lord. He rules today whenever the church gathers two or three in his presence and pray and bind and loose those things on earth as having been done in heaven. He receives glory every time a saint simply goes and witnesses and bears the testimony of Jesus saving love to somebody who is dying in sin. So there's many ways that Jesus is reigning even today in our midst. But uh, we, uh, even as he's reigning in our midst, we realize that many people can't see it because he's reigning in humility. I have to lift it up again. 
sorry, my assistant is working on me. Up. All right. I, can, <laughs> this whatever I tell you, I have to. We, we, I have a sagging phone here. It's going to come down and come down time and time again. That's all right. Now, so our second theme verse gives us a practical picture of how Jesus is to be king in our midst, right? Whenever the church lives in the reality of his victorious and overcoming life, a victor of victor because of Calvary, make me an overcomer, a victor in thee. So today, as we think about these things, we want to reign with him. And as we reign with him on this earth, we want to testify that he is just, that he comes with salvation, that he is humble. You know, he became a bondservant and he rode a donkey, just like David did when he became king. He was humble. And this is the great mystery and what captured us in our salvation. I read a quote the other day, uh, last week I was sharing with the folks in Flushing and I read a quote from a Norwegian mystic and he uh, recently uh, wrote something as he was contemplating, uh, it's a little too high. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it seems like I need a Norwegian mystic right now. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I read a quote uh, from a Norwegian mystic that uh, to me is very wonderful. And uh, it refers to this son of man, this Jesus of humility. This uh, Norwegian mystic said this, what is most captivating about Jesus today? Honestly, it is the kindness, gentleness, and humility of Jesus I find the most convincing. He works on our behalf, so uninterested in being God. Now, I thought that was wonderful. Of course, he was the son of God. But as he worked for our salvation, as he came among us, it seemed as if he were so uninterested. Well, we know that he had equality with God, but he did not feel like he had to grasp it. Rather to serve, rather than be served. He didn't have to have some kind of airs about him as if he were God, but just honestly live simply with humility, with kindness and gentleness. And so this is, this is what the church is supposed to bring to the world. When we say, behold, your king is coming to you. This is that life that we're trying to convey today. So now for the church, this involves coming into the victory of his precious blood and in the finished work over Satan, sin, the world, and the, the flesh. As his children, we begin to take on the character of our king. And we begin to rule and reign, even as we're awaiting his second coming. Now, we, we sang a song today in the hymn book, and I just want to turn to it for a moment, as we read far above all. If you'll just notice what it says in verse four, uh, we, we read this. His is the kingdom from pole unto pole, far above all, while the ages shall roll. But listen to this. With him, the victors who followed his call, share in his royalty 
far above all. Now, this is something that has to be manifest in us because if we're truly born again of the king, there is something of his royalty that should be building into us. And this is hard for us to imagine because when we were called, we were sinners, we needed help. As, as Paul says, not many of you who called were wise or noble or mighty, but God called to foolish things. And yet when we are born again, we are born again into a life, into Christ, that has nobility in its veins. Its very character is royalty. And so as we live in Christ, we begin to take on royalty, even on this earth, which would mean taking on that character that Christ conveyed when he was dwelling here on earth. It's like David. You know, David was just a shepherd boy. And yet, with that anointing, the Lord worked in him in such a way that he came into a, a, a character, a royalty of character that made him and placed him in the genealogy, even of Jesus, our Lord, the Son of God and King. And even though Peter was a simple fisherman, there was something about the life of Christ and the character of Christ that was produced in him through the work of the Holy Spirit that made him a regal man. As he walked through Jerusalem, even his shadow was revered. And even though he was a simple man of speech, there was something of the character of royalty in his very life. Or we even think of somebody like the Shulamite woman. She was just a, a peasant girl and a simple slave maiden. And yet, drawn by King Solomon, she came in not only to a love, but to a royalty of life and of bearing and of learning the heart of the king. She took on those traits of royalty. And so even we, as we humbly worshiped and adored the king today, we reveal in some small way, isn't it wonderful, that we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, that we're being prepared as a bride for our king. This bride can't be just some foolish, silly uh, person, but a mature, regal person who's learned how to be, how to gain the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, how to live steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. This is what the Lord is doing as he's beginning to rule and reign in us. Now, because I'm just amazed by the number of young people, young adults, teenagers who've joined us for this week, I want to just take us through some stages of the Lord's revealing himself to us. Because every time we see the king, there's a certain degree, a level, a stage of transformation in our character that brings us more into Christ-likeness, even as we're waiting for his return here on this earth. There are these four stages. And I, I'm just going to sh simply share these four stages this morning because you know we've worshiped the Lord, had a wonderful time. But just so that maybe some who are just newly into the Lord or growing in the Lord can understand how we become, as it were, kings and priests. The first stage is what I'm going to call the foundational stage. And this is of absolute first importance. We need to understand that the foundation for our reigning with Christ the King has already been provided by the grace of God. 
I read in Revelation chapter one, verses five and six, this amazing moment of gospel sharing in the book of Revelation. In Revelation verses, chapter one, verse five, it says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, what I want you to see is that our we have been made a kingdom of priests. Notice that. From, but from the beginning to the end, our position in this kingdom has been afforded to us by the grace of God. We've entered this priesthood of his by his precious blood. It sanctified us and allowed us to serve before the throne of God. Notice that at the very center of, and the very foundation of our lives as kings and priests is this very fact. From him who loved us and released us from our sins. It was the blood of the king of kings that first had to release us from our sins. This is, this is amazing. And that, that destiny, you know, there's actually two translations for this uh, statement here, uh, and both of them have some merit. The first one, like in the King James Version says, I don't know what it says in Mandarin. It says, and he made us, kings and priests to his God and Father. And then in the New American Standard, it says, he has made us to be a kingdom priests to his God and Father. Now, both of those are correct. But uh, some people, of course, like that the version where it says, we've been made kings and priests. Well, <laughs> well, we have been made kings and priests. And in the kingdom to come, we will rule and will reign with him as his priests. Indeed, it's by his finished work that we have been made these kings and priests. Because the Lord, through his great finished work, is bringing many sons to glory. And we will rule and reign with him. But for now, think of it this way. We are a kingdom of priests before God and the Father. For now, he's made us bondservants, even as himself. We are bondservants and priests unto our God. We are royal priests, a kingdom of priests, if you were. This is our position. It's a royal position. But our foundation is in the grace of our Lord Jesus. It's because he loved us. And because he, he removed our sins from us. And it's because he is the one who has made us to become a kingdom of priests and to our God. The foundation's already been established. Even, even from the beginning, turn it a little bit more this way. Yeah. All right, and higher. All right, that's good, thanks. Okay, even from the beginning of a new life, we begin to experience something ruling and reigning in us. In Romans 5.17, we have some concluding words of an argument that Paul has been making about our new life in Christ. And he simply concludes with this wonderful verse in Romans 5, verse 17. 
For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about our former life in Adam, which was a life that led to death. But now we have a life in Christ and a life that reigns, reigns in life through him. To reign in life. This is what the world needs to see today. In the midst of this pandemic and all of this trouble, who's reigning in this life? Who's overcoming? Who's steadfast, immovable, still abounding in the works of the Lord? This is the very testimony that we have. I once was dead, dead in my sins, but now I've been made alive in Christ and I reign in life. And he mentions, of course, the two wonderful things and ways that we reign in life. And what is that? By the grace of God and by the gift of righteousness. You know, we, we are reigning with Christ now because we've put on his righteousness. Because we, our righteousness is seen in him. And we can stand and reign in that righteousness. Whereas those outside of Christ are reigning in death because they're still in Adam. We are reigning in life through Christ Jesus because we've placed his righteousness upon us. But also we're reigning in the grace of God. From the very beginning, we need to say as Christians, we need to stand upon this foundation. By the grace of God, I live, not die. There's so much of corruption dying around us. There's so much of death on every hand. But we can say not just that we're physically alive, but that we're alive, set free from sin by the righteousness in Christ Jesus. And we live and overcome and reign in life, no matter what happens. Isn't that wonderful? Through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. This is our foundation. And it's only by grace. We can't earn it, but we can live in it and reign in it by the grace of God. And now we come to the second uh, stage. Can I put it that way? These stages all work together at the same time, but just to lay these things out before us. Having come to the place where we reign in life through his righteousness and through his grace, we come to a second moment in our life perhaps where we say something happens in us where we see the greatness of our calling now we were saved by grace we rejoice just being the children of god but as time goes along god opens our eyes to see the greatness of our calling the royalty of our calling of course you know i'm thinking about the first peter in chapter 2 verse 9 where Peter uh, quotes from Exodus and says to the Christians, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now you see, 
here we discover as we see Jesus, we discover that we're called to be bondservants in his kingdom, expressing his royal and holy character. What a high calling this is. This calling has within it the promise that we'll be brought from our former manner of life into something akin to his character. You know, God spoke this to the children of Israel many years ago, that he was calling them at Mount Sinai as a chosen race to manifest his kingship in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the God, the king, needed royal priests, priests who could minister to God for the whole world, this tribe ministering people to the presence of God under that covenant. Well, of course, they failed in this calling. But now we are called into this high calling, holy priest, royal priesthood, holy nation. This is such a high calling. And of course, immediately we fall upon the fact that who are we when we were called? I mean, we were nothing. We weren't noble, wise, mighty. But God made Christ to be to us all that is needed for this holy calling. You know, this wonderful verse we all know from the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 comes at the end of Paul saying, you know, when you were called, there were not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise, but God chose the foolish things. And so having this position and knowing that we're nothing, yet God has made Christ to us the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, the redemption of God. In other words, with the holy calling, with that high and royal calling, with the nobility of this calling to step into, he becomes to us that wisdom, that righteousness and sanctification and redemption necessary to fulfill that calling. And listen to what our calling is involved uh, as royal priests. To proclaim the excellencies of him. To proclaim the excellencies of him as we hold up our Lord Jesus as this wonderful King of Kings. And also, he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of that death in Adam, into that life in Christ. And we stand and proclaim these things. And notice also it says that we might be God's peculiar possession, or some ancient version say God's peculiar people, which of course it seems we are in an unusual way. But actually what it's saying is, we are God's possession. We're God's jealous possession. We're God's loving, loving bond servants. He has a very special interest in us. He's very jealous for us that we seek and maintain this high calling revealed to us. But how do we come and do it? How do we see it? This high calling, it, it can be just words if you want. But how can it be brought into a, a higher reality? Well, as we have stated yesterday, and it continues to be the fact, the way we come to see anything within ourselves is by seeing it in Christ, a revelation of Christ. And that's why we have this one, these wonderful verses in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 15 through 18, where Paul is praying for those dear Ephesian saints, how they love the Lord how they've been saved, they're the children of God. But how are they gonna see this high calling? They're gonna to have to see it 
through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so in Ephesians 1, 15 and 18, we hear these words. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. But the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, I just want us to focus on just one part of that prayer. When he says that you might have your eyes opened with a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see what is the hope of his calling. Now, do you notice that? The hope of his calling. Now, some translations even mistranslate it and say that you might know what is the hope of your calling. And that's because in Ephesians 4, when Paul is becoming practical, he urges the Christians to walk worthy of their calling. Ah, now they've seen it. Now they need to walk worthy of it. But back in chapter 1, the previous prayer is this, that we would see his calling, the hope of his calling by revelation. What a great call. What is the hope of Jesus calling? That he would reign king of kings, lord of lords, in all the royalty and all the glory that he deserves. But you see, what Paul is saying is when we look to the Lord, you know, a lot of times we're always looking to ourselves. Well, what's my calling? Well, who am I? Those questions are never answered. But when we look off to him, that we might have a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him and a fuller knowledge of him in his glory and his royalty. And as we do that, as we look at the hope of his calling, we say, wow, what a great king we have. What a tremendous calling he has. You know what? We find our calling within his calling. And even as he's called into great glory, into ruling and reigning, we find our great calling as royal priests to rule and reign with him out of his calling. And so first we have to see his worthy calling. And then we come into the place where we see our calling and then we begin to walk worthy of it. So Paul, of course, in chapter four of Ephesians, now he says, now you see your calling. And now you see Christ calling. Now I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, in Ephesians 4.1, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And listen to this. Isn't this just the Lord that we've been talking about in Zechariah 9.9? Walk worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. Oh, my, my. This is how we walk worthy of this high and noble calling that we've been given. Now, have we seen our worthy calling in him? Praise God. See, if we've seen Christ, if we've seen the king, we've seen something of that calling. There's something that calls us, you know, as a result of seeing who he is, our high calling. So we have this worthy calling. We have this wonderful foundation. But now how do we reign in victory? Steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, how, how can we reign in this victory, especially given our weakness, our failures, our falterings? You know, if we've learned anything in this pandemic, we've learned that we're not, that we have a natural steadfastness, immovability, and ability to continue working, but it's wholly inadequate to enable us to overcome in such a time as this. You know, we have our own steadfastness, but it's not very steadfast at all. It's very movable, it, it falls apart without too much provocation. But here we're talking about a steadfastness that comes from a life that is within. There's a further revelations that take us into this spiritual victory, not just an outward, we're trying, we're, <laughs> we're trying to be steadfast and immovable, but no, no, no. This is not something we can do in ourselves because this is not a natural steadfastness. Indeed, our ruling and reigning comes out of a spiritual steadfastness as we see the Lord, our, uh, our King, more clearly in his victory. So this brings us to what I'm calling the third stage. And what is that third stage? Having seen the foundation we're upon, having seen our high and glorious calling, it seems that the saints, the bondservants of God who pursue the Lord, find frustration in their own lack of natural strength, but find one day Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the overcoming life within. As we lay hold of our calling, we find a life within able to fulfill this calling. This is the truth of overcoming Christ in you. This is how we could say, I reign, yet not I, but Christ reigns in me. There is a life within you that is steadfast, it can overcome the spirit of error and false teachers and the lies of this world. And so this is what John says in 1 John chapter 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Ah, now that is steadfastness. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And when the world comes at us with false teaching, as, as John was referring to there in 1 John, and lying and all of that, you can overcome those things by he who dwells within you. And there is a life within you that's immovable as well. It, even in overcoming Satan, you know, we have the wonderful verse in Re Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto death. What an immovability. But do you think that immovability came because these overcomers had developed some kind of strength on their own? No, they had come to the place of full reliance and dependence upon the life of the Lord within and when they had the fight, even in the struggles and battles of the end days, they overcame because they knew their foundation in the blood of the Lamb, because they knew their testimony 
Christ lives in me. And they did not love their lives, even unto death. There is a life within to be discovered. The life of Christ within to be discovered. And it makes us more than conquerors. Now, you know, Paul speaks that word of more than conquerors in Romans chapter 8. And I just read those three verses, beginning in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Indeed, this overcoming life it makes us realize we can never be separated from the love of God. That in itself is a great victory through our Lord Jesus. And his abiding with us and his love that keeps us makes us more than conquerors by this life within. Oh, to know this victorious life, it cannot be cut off even by death, more than conquerors. And by the way, that word conquerors is the word that's used in Revelation for overcomers, more than conquerors. Even as we go through pandemic, persecution, famine, you know what the world is looking for? Not people who say, I told you so, or I'll never get sick, or you know, boastful claims. They're looking for people who are more than conquerors, who are thriving, even in the midst of great difficulty. Paul says, we're, we're being thrown to death all, all day long. We're sheep for the slaughter. And yet we thrive. There's something living. There's something regal. There's something royal about a life that's within us that enables us to even overcome in a jail and sing hymns until the earth shakes. That indwelling life of Christ also is a revelation that changes us. It's a revelation of Christ. You remember Paul's testimony in Galatians chapter one. He said, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He was pleased to reveal his son in me. Have you ever had a revelation of the son of God living in you, this indwelling Christ? We read wonderful scriptures on abiding in him and living in Christ and Christ living in us. But has that ever been made real to you? What a victory is found when the servant finds his Christ living within. He finds his message. Paul says, I found my message when I saw Christ revealed within. And the whole basis of our new covenant ministry as we minister one to another is for us to see that it's Christ that we write on the hearts of brothers and sisters by the Holy Spirit. It is something within that is being done. And even as we do it, we do it with an unveiled face as a servant beholds the Lord is being transformed as something royal is even happening in our own lives. What an amazing thing. The life of Christ within. This is the transformational secret that makes those who wish they had a high calling come into the high calling. That make those who wish they could be steadfast to finding that life within as steadfast. So positively, we discover the life of Christ within us as this new source of life. 
If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. There's a whole new source of reigning life within us for the victory. But you know, we also discover negatively this life of Christ, as Paul talked about in Galatians 2.20, right? We discover it as we strain against the, uh, our strong-willed self. We're going to be strong and steadfast and unmovable. And, and the more we try, the more we fail. Just like Paul's testimony in Romans 7 and 8. He, he was trying. He was trying. But the more he tried, the worse it became. Until he came to that realization, you know, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There was a arrest. There was a recognition that he's been crucified and that the life of Christ is now reigning in him. Christ dwelling within became his victory and his rest from the weariness of trying to be that good Christian he could never be. Now I am reigning, yet not I. Christ reigns within me. And even when outwardly it seems like one has failed, as Paul testifies of his failures as well as his victories, and yet he finds that even in his losses, even in his mistakes, Christ still triumphs by his life within. He'll use these things one way or another to bring us into victory. You'll remember there's Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where, where he got so upset not finding Titus and not knowing the condition of the Corinthian church that he, 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 he stopped ministering in, in Troas. And just he was just so upset. And yet he could say this, even in that seeming defeat, even in that seeming failure of ministry and steadfastness, he said this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of his of the knowledge of him in every place. I mean, isn't that amazing? Christ's victorious life within him made it such a wonderful thing that even when there was loss, still he was, he was marching in the train of the royal victory of Jesus Christ. And the fragrant aroma of the victory of Christ is all that is experienced by the people around, no matter what we do. Ah, this is wonderful. And having seen this life of Christ and that victory that comes from the life within, it is doubly enhanced by the final uh, revelation that brings us to its highest degree. We've seen the foundation of our reigning by grace and righteousness. We've seen our high calling We've seen our overcoming by the life of Christ within us. But we are brought finally with the king into true reigning when we see a revelation of Christ crucified. Christ crucified. A great mystery which we see in Christ and which we realize in ourselves is that the cross it turns out to be the most powerful tool of victory the world has ever seen. 
what looked like the most abject defeat, what looked like Jesus lost all, turned out to be the greatest victory of victories. Victory over Satan, victory over death, victory over this world. Christ crucified. And when we see Christ crucified, working out of our lives, Christ for others, Christ laying down his life, Christ serving, when we see that cross, it enables us to reign with Christ now through sufferings, through sufferings with him. And in the coming kingdom, to reign with him as our reward. To see Christ crucified. Oh, this is indeed the highest of revelations. Paul says, in a testimony, he reveals uh, this reigning that we will know one day. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it kind of gives a, a quick summary of this whole thing. As he says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. Ah, look at this wonderful progression. You know what? Our spirit intuitively knows these things. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are first children of God. Now that is a royal thing in itself. And then not only that, we are heirs of God. And then not only that, we become co-heirs or fellow heirs with Christ if we suffer with him. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. What an amazing thought. In another place, Jesus assures his disciples as, their, as his bondservants that they would be rewarded if they went with him and took up their cross. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 28 and 29, he says this. So Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, and this is talking about the kingdom of God come to earth, that in the regeneration, when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now we'll leave the 12 thrones alone because that has to do very much with Israel in the coming kingdom and the apostles in a special way. But we notice that everyone who has taken up their cross, left houses and brothers and sisters for my namesake, oh, they will receive a hundredfold reward and inherit eternal life. We sang yesterday, many crowd the Savior's kingdom. But those who've known him and have borne the cross with him, whether they be few or many, are those who will receive abundant entry into the kingdom of God and exceeding great reward. The cross 
for his bondservant is to endure in victory. This is reigning in his kingdom. Hebrews talks a lot about it. But also Tim, in 2 Timothy, Paul mentions this to his dear co-worker, Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, quoting from an Old Testament psalm, it is a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You know, we are called to suffer in this present world because we are servants of his kingdom, his kingdom which is uh, rebuffed by Satan, rebuffed by the world. And it's because of God's suffering love that we take up that cross and willingly suffer to bring his humility and his saving kingship to those around us without hope or without God. But this enduring, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Isn't this so apropos for our time? Oh, dear saint, I hope that you break through the weariness of your soul with an understanding of this, this, this buoyant life that is within you that Christ crucified is the great power in your life, enabling you to endure. And you know, this matter of endurance, as we see in Hebrews and alluded to in different places, there's a secret behind endurance in suffering. And what is that? It's that enduring in suffering that finally shapes us into the character of Christ who suffered for us. We will be kings one day, ruling and reigning on thrones. But right now, we, in Christ-like character, need this heart to suffer and willingness to suffer out of the love of God for others around us. This, and, and not only do we come to a perfecting character developing through, through suffering, but we also come into fellowship with him in these sufferings, in a greater intimacy than we've ever known before. So I mentioned these four things as we conclude today. First, we reign now, now from the moment we're saved in life and righteousness by the foundation laid for us by his blood. Right now, are we reigning in life? Can we testify of that? Not death, sins forgiven, life by the grace of God in Christ. And then, what does it mean to be those who have gained the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ? We reign now as we walk worthy of our high royal calling, revealed within the hope of his calling. So look at Jesus' calling until we see our great calling within there as well. We also reign in this present time as we await Christ's coming as Christ in you brings a victorious working out of his life, character, and ministry through your life. This is the very mystery of godliness, Christ in you. The very mystery of godliness. How is this transformation going on in your life? How is, this, how is your loss turning into victory? How is your sinful failures turning into holiness? 
it's all done as, as, the, as this life of Christ builds that character of Christ into us. And finally, we reign now through Christ crucified as he lives through his bondservants in his train of victory into the eternal kingdom. You know, Christ crucified is our life. It's a life for others. It's a life laid down. It's a life plentifully given. It's a life that reigns. Nothing can defeat that victory we have through the cross of Christ. And so dear brothers and sisters, uh, we come to the end, just want to read the final scripture in Hebrews 12. It just tells us to press on. Wherefore, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with endurance the faith that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. O oh Lord, I pray that we who have seen the Lord, we who are his bondservants, we who understand the mystery that his great sacrifice was his great victory. Oh, Lord, we want to live victorious through our Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, only your life can make us steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, aware that our labor is never in vain. These things come from a source within. They come from a life laid down. Oh, Lord, bring us into that kind of royalty that even as though we're just flesh and blood and nothing by human account, yet by, the, by God's choosing and by God's predestination, he has taken us, chosen us, called us, justified us, sanctified us, and is bringing us into the glory of his ruling and reigning victory. We thank you, Lord, that we have this great gospel before us. We ask, dear Lord, that we could live in such a way that people, as we walk through this world, we can say, behold, your king is coming to you as we share the love of Christ with those around us. And, oh, Lord, we look for the day when all these things that we're aiming toward and our high calling will be fully fulfilled by your grace, by your mercy, as we join with you in your second coming and glorious kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.